the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. The problem sometimes is when we kind of restrict God, put him in a box, say, this, this is how he has to always function. And I like the way that Jesus just mixed up how he did things from time to time, because listen, the method may change, the message never will. Jesus says, my, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But he said, only my words, the message is what will never change. Sometimes methods change, but the message of God never changes. Jesus is full of surprises. As you'll discover in today's message, the Savior of the world never really stood on following the boxes people put around him. He followed his Heavenly Father's direction, and it always turned out for the better. Pastor Gary today will remind you not to put limits on your Savior. Let him do exactly what he's going to do in the exact way he knows will be best. After all, God sees all of your future, all of who you are and what you do, and he will always do what's perfect for your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're here again, Luke chapter 7. We're continuing here in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Verse 1 says that when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority, with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So uh, we have here in this first section of chapter 7, Jesus returns to Capernaum, uh, Kafarnahum in the Hebrew, meaning village of Nahum. Again, the prophet Nahum likely, it is believed, grew up and maybe was even born in this, in this town that now bears his name. 
uh, but we don't know for sure. But this is the home base uh, for Jesus' ministry for three and a half years. And so while he circulates at, at various times uh, throughout Israel, his ministry is primary lo- primarily located in the region of the Galilee, with Capernaum being his home base, which is located just on, on the northern part, right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And as he returns here, he is confronted by some Jewish elders of the town of Capernaum, who are sent on behalf of a centurion. Now, again, just by working definition, what is a centurion? A centurion is an officer in the Roman army who is a commander over 100 soldiers. Therefore, he bears that title, centurion. Uh, and, and just because he is a Roman, he is also a Gentile. So this is particularly fascinating and remarkable that Jewish leaders in the town of Capernaum will be an advocate for a Gentile Roman soldier. And that is noteworthy because this guy is a Gentile and most Jews consider Gentiles to be unclean and unsalvageable. And in fact, some of the strict religious leaders of the day believed the Gentiles were only for the purpose of the fodder for the fire of hell. That was their perception. And the fact that this guy, being a Gentile, a Roman centurion, is going to get represented by some Jewish elders says a lot about this centurion. And so we can learn a few things about him just from the text. We learned that he is kind because uh, the the Jewish elders in verse 5 say that he loves our nation. He is generous because he is the one who financially built the synagogue there in Capernaum. That's also what verse 5 tells us. So that's pretty amazing. That he loves God, he loves God's people, he was a friend of the Jews. And he was kind to them, and he was generous, and he actually personally funded the building of the synagogue there in Capernaum. So he is well-loved, well-liked. He's also a very humble guy, because we see from... In the dialogue here, when he sends some servants of his, and he he says, just tell Jesus, look, I'm not even worthy for him to come to my home. So we see this this humility here. We we also see a man of great respect of authority, because he he knows that Jesus can just say the word, and he even refers to himself being a man of authority. I'm a man of authority, and I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. I know what authority is about, and so he defers to the authority of Jesus because he himself is a man under authority. You and I will never be able to respect authority until we first learn to submit to authority. That's where it's learned. That's where it is gained. Nobody's going to respect your authority unless you first learn to submit to it. And this centurion understood what authority was all about. He was a man of authority. He was a man under authority. He said, Jesus, just say the word, and it'll be done. Now, in in the Bible, there are actually three different centurions that are mentioned in the Gospels, Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three centurions are mentioned. We have the first one here in in Luke chapter 7. We also have another centurion mentioned in Mark chapter 15. Remember at the foot of the cross, right when Jesus was being crucified, and there was an earthquake and darkness covered the land, the Bible says, that this one centurion uttered, surely this man is the Son of God. Then we also see a centurion by name in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, uh, the first Gentile convert of the New Testament church. Holy Spirit fell upon him and his family, so that's a story all all on its own. Interestingly, though, all three references, the only three references to specifically centurions in the Gospels, and every single time a centurion is referenced in the Gospel, it's always in a good light. It's always in a favorable way. And this guy, 
among those whom Jesus favorably commends. And so Jesus is amazed here at this man's faith. Look again at verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Circle that word amazed. If you have a King James Bible, it uses the word marveled. It, it, It might be curious to you, it is to me, that there are only two times in the Gospels where Jesus was amazed. It, you know, it, it's got to take a lot to amaze God, all right? And there are two times that God was amazed. Jesus was amazed. This is one of them. He is amazed in a favorable way. He is amazed at the faith of this Gentile centurion. The other time we read that Jesus was amazed was not under favorable conditions. It's Mark 6 and verse 6. You don't need to turn back there, but Jesus was also amazed at the lack of faith of the people of the town that he grew up in, Nazareth. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, it says that Jesus went to Nazareth, and there he, he taught, and the people of Nazareth just kind of reduced him to just being any and everybody. Isn't this, isn't this the kid whose dad is a carpenter? And, and then you have a, a few brothers and a couple of sisters, and who, who does he think he is? And the Bible says in Mark 6, they took offense at him. And then there's an interesting verse there. It's very challenging to theologians. It says, and Jesus, because of their lack of faith, could not, could not is the word that is used, not would not, could not perform many miracles there, except that he healed a few people because of their lack of faith. And he was amazed. Two times in the gospels, Jesus was amazed. The lack of people's faith in Mark chapter 6 in his own hometown, how people dismissed him, didn't believe in him, and great faith here in Luke chapter 7, this centurion. So two opposite examples here. The people who lacked faith were Jews, were were members of his own people of Israel. This guy who had great faith was a Gentile. So this has to be a pretty um, startling lesson for the Jews there in Capernaum to hear Jesus commend a Gentile for such great faith, so much so that Jesus says, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He uses this Gentile guy, this Goyim, as an example of faith here in this story. So what's beautiful about it, of course, is that this guy's centurion, uh, the centurion servant, is healed. And just because Jesus wills it. Now, it's, it's noteworthy that throughout the ministry of Jesus... He, he was not restricted to a certain style, a formula. There are times when he would heal people by touching them, by laying hands on them. There are a couple of times the Bible records that he would heal people by spitting, by mixing his spit with mud. And then there are times, and this is one of them, where Jesus just wills it, just wills it. There's no record that Jesus even ever, ever went to, this, to the centurion's home. He just wills that this guy should be healed. And when the servants return to the centurion, they find the servant who was sick well. Jesus is not restricted to a formula. So many times, sometimes in Christianity, we we try to, to can or package a formula. God is not going to function based on a formula. He's God. Are there some similarities in the way that God moves? Well, sure, but he's God and he can do whatever he jolly well pleases. And the problem sometimes is when we kind of restrict God, put him in a box, say this, this is how he has to always function. And I like the way that Jesus just mixed up how he did things from time to time because listen, the method may change, the message never will. 
Jesus says, my heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But he said, only my words, the message is what will never change. Sometimes methods change, but the message of God never changes. So this guy gets healed. So it's a wonderful occasion here. And then there's going to be an even more spectacular, if you can compare miracles, an even more spectacular miracle to follow. Look at verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Well, I mean, you know, they got it partly right. He is a great prophet, but he was more than that. He was Messiah. He was the Son of God. But nevertheless, they marvel at this miracle because this is a pretty incredible miracle. You have to say, if you're, you know, walking downtown Leesburg in, in a funeral procession and you're carrying, you know, a loved one on a casket and, uh, and Jesus comes along, touches the coffin, speaks to your dead relative in the casket and and your relative gets up and starts talking to people you you're going to be pretty amazed here okay this sometimes we read through the bible and go oh, okay that's a great that's another miracle jesus oh that's he raised somebody from the dead that's sweet and then we keep just kind of moving on you got to stop and just you know soak this in jesus raises this guy from the dead now he comes to the to a town of nain it's about 25 miles southwest of capernaum about six miles from uh, nazareth that this particular story is found only in Luke's gospel. There are two main people in this story, outside of Jesus, of course, and, and the crowd. The two specific people that are going to have their, their day changed a little bit are uh, a widow and, and her dead son. Uh, now, it, it says that he was her only son, and she was a widow. So this is particularly difficult for, for this lady because in those days, listen, for a a woman to be without a husband or any sons was very burdensome on her because many women would end up in poverty in those, in those situations. It wasn't like today where you know, ladies can, can go find a job if they need to on, on the death of a husband or the death of children and you know, su- survive and make ends meet. In this day, n- not so much. You, you, you were very dependent on other people and particularly for a husband. And, 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 for, and if your husband died, at least you had a son who could then go out and support you. And in this case now, she's left with no one. She's a widow, and this is her only son. A little bit we can gather about him, and I don't know how you might have perceived this story if you've read it before. This is not a little boy. This is not like you know a, a little kid in a coffin here. This is actually a guy who's probably 20 to 30 years of age. Uh, he's referred to as a person in verse 12, and then he's referred to as a man in verse 15. Jesus calls him a young man in verse 14. Uh, the Greek word is neoniskos, and it is a, a Greek term that is used to describe someone who is was, who was under the age of 40. So he's probably a, a full-grown adult, and uh, that, that makes it even you know, more significant because he probably is the immediate breadwinner for, for the family, for his mom, and, and now he's dead. And, and so Jesus uh, comes and uh, Jesus sees 
the scene here is he comes to the town of Nain, and he says something. You know, he, he, sees, he sees the woman. The Bible says there that verse 13, when he saw her, his heart went out to her. Only Jesus could say what we read right here, okay? Guys, don't try this at home. Don't cry. Don't try that one at home, okay? Let her cry. Only Jesus can get by with this one. So Jesus says to this woman, don't cry. Don't cry. Because he knows that the the hope is around the corner here. And then he goes up and he touches the coffin. And those carrying the coffin stood still. And he said there in verse 14, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. Man, you know there were some wide-eyed people right around that, that, that casket there. Some people who were coming unglued. Probably people who were running, you know, I mean, try to imagine the scene. Like, not everybody is happy about this. Some people are freaked out. You don't see this every day. Not in name, at least, right? So this is what happens here. Now, uh, trivia question. How many people in the course of Jesus' ministry did he raise from the dead? Three? Three is the correct answer. But the, but the three that he raised right here, the widow's son of Nain in Luke chapter 7, and then Jairus' daughter in Capernaum in Luke chapter 8, and then the most famous of all, of course, is Lazarus uh, in the town of Bethany, and that's found in John chapter 11. But uh, there were three that he raised from the dead. Having said that, please keep in mind All three of these individuals died again. Bummer. Jesus raises you from the dead, you still are going to eventually die. Because, you see, this is part of the first death. But remember the Bible teaches, though, that now that Christ has died on the cross, we die, our spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord in heaven. If you know Christ as your Savior, your body returns to dust from which it was made. And then there's going to be a day when we will get glorified bodies. And our glorified body will rise from the dead, be reunited with our spirit, so that then we can be in a glorified state forever and ever and never experience death again. But all three of these people that Jesus raised from the dead, it was a, it was a temporary miracle because eventually they would die. And, uh, and so, but what a wonderful miracle it is uh, at the moment, no doubt. Uh, verse uh, 18, uh, John's disciples told him about all these things. Now we're talking about John the Baptist. John's, John the Baptist's disciples told him about all these things, meaning, meaning all these things that Jesus was doing. He was, he was raising the dead, and, uh, and he was uh, healing people, and he was preaching. And, and then it says, calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said... John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor And then he adds there, verse 23, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Well, let me pause there and back up and look at this passage with you. Uh, For you note takers, this story also appeared in Matthew chapter 11. So we've talked about this before as we make our way through the Gospels. Uh, You know, there are reasons why we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's not just so that we can get a Holy Spirit-inspired perspective from four different angles. But it's because often God knows we need to hear things more than once. Amen? You know that if you have teenagers, right? Take out the trash. 
take out the trash, take out the trash. And about 15 times later, then they finally do it. So God knows we're kind of like that in many ways. And so we need things repeated often. So this, this story, like uh, many things in the Gospels, are repeated and, and often for our benefit. So you might remember that John the Baptist is in prison at this time. He's been put in prison by Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, because he's been going around confronting sin in his culture, and he confronts Herod Antipas because the guy's living in adultery. He stole his brother's wife, and now he's married to her. John the Baptist confronts the guy, says, you're living in sin, you're living in adultery, you, you know, you've stolen another man's wife, it doesn't belong to you, and, you know, Herod is the political leader of his day. Don't tell me you're not supposed to integrate the gospel with politics. I mean, he does it right there firsthand. He got his head cut off for it, but he did, nevertheless. And he was bold about it. He was zealous about it. And Herod throws him in prison. By the time we read this story here, John the Baptist has been in prison, it is believed, for about a year. And he's growing disillusioned. You know, look, there are a lot of people in this world, you, you, might, you might even love Jesus. And you, you have a heart for him. John the Baptist clearly loved Jesus, had a heart for him, was the first one to really announce who Jesus was. When Jesus comes at the beginning of his ministry to be baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist declares, behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. There was no confusion with John the Baptist about who Jesus was and is. What set in was discouragement because of his circumstances. He finds himself now in prison, and little does he know, but what's about to happen is he's going to be beheaded And things aren't working out the way that he had hoped. And there are a lot of good people who love the Lord that are in situations where they find themselves and and life is just not turning out the way that they had hoped. Now, put that on pause for a moment. Back to the story. I'll come back to the relevance for us today. But Jesus sends John the Baptist's disciples back to John the Baptist with this report. He basically quotes, Jesus does, out of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. He quotes Old Testament messianic prophecy. And Jesus basically says, I'm doing exactly what the prophet said the Messiah would do. I'm giving sight to the blind. I'm raising the dead. I'm healing the sick. And I'm preaching the good news to the poor. And he doesn't just mean financially poor. He means poor in spirit, people who are spiritually bankrupt. I'm doing all these things. In other words, I'm fulfilling the scriptures that were written about me hundreds of years in advance. Let the scriptures be evidence that I am fulfilling what the prophet said. Go back and tell John this. But then what Jesus adds at the end of all that is not just for John the Baptist, but it's for all of us even today. Because when Jesus adds there in verse 23, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. What he's saying is that life will at times be very, very difficult. And things will happen that you didn't expect. Sometimes bad things. Sometimes difficult things. Dark things. And Jesus is basically in that verse saying to us, please hold on, don't lose faith in me. Blessed is the one who does not fall away. Basically saying, because I have not done everything you think I should do. In essence, look, what we have to hold on to in those dark, desperate times is a reminder that he is still on the throne and he is still Lord and he is still sovereign. And even when things don't go according to plan the way we hope and the way we want, it is no reflection on a bad God. God is still good. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the corner. 
The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to Himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in Him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But His death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know